house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. Nominees for performance by an actress in a leading role. Jessica Chastain in The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Olivia Coleman in The Lost Daughter. Penelope Cruz in Parallel Mothers. Nicole Kidman in Being the Ricardos. And Kristen Stewart in Spencer. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Bus podcast, the only podcast that Patrizia Reggiani sends flies after even though she's not dead. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we are here to perform the autopsy, except for this week we are here marking the year. The final Oscar nominations for the year, which means we're doing the class of 2021 for this head Oscar buzz. Uh, I am your host, Chris File. I'm here, as always, with my spicy meatball, Joe Reed. It's a me. Um, you have been a Gucci all your life. It's crazy to me that the biggest snub of the year is still a nominee. Like, it's, it's, it's wild to me that House of Gucci is going to go down as you know, snubberama and that little I was trying to think of that little makeup nominee. Yeah, that's what would have been in, in recent years, something that like got almost entirely shut out. I weirdly because, like it's usually things like Mary Queen of Scots that it's like it feels like this was the big bomb of the Oscar year that still is an Oscar nominee. But yeah. it gets like multiple nominations. I can't think of a movie off the top of my head that it's like you got one. Well, the thing Unless that it's I like almost an acting nominee, which if you get an acting nomination, that feels more major than what happened at House of Gucci. It's a totally different tone, and it's almost not worth comparing. But like in 2014, when Selma got snubbed for everything but Best Picture, and and song, and song of course, but like, but in terms of like major categories, everything but but right. Best Picture, right. that was at least a thing too. Where it was just like the storyline was the snub, and then you're like but it's a Best Picture nominee. and Well, my comparison was the two times that Michael Shannon was nominated, both for Nocturnal Animals and Revolutionary Road, which is like, yes, those movies like were bandied about for much more, and his nomination was surprising, but still it's an acting nomination. Well, and that would be almost like if House of Gucci didn't get anything, but then like Pacino showed up surprisingly in supporting actor or something like that, which right. I would support, by the way. That would have been a that would have been a good nomination. Best performance in the movie. Does it seem to you this is totally off topic, does it seem to you that like you're seeing more Duncachino in your timeline recently than you used to? Uh hello, him dancing to whatever he's listening to on yes. his headphones. But I would like bef- to think that it's this head Oscar buzz. He's dancing to our theme song. I mean, he's rocking out to hot chocolate for sure. But it just yeah. does. Even before that, I was like, "There's a weird uptick of Duncachino in my in my Twitter uh, existence these days." And then those don't make photos him take his out. glasses off. He's Al Pacino. 
That was another great moment. Okay, can we do, while we're on the subject of House of Gucci, can we just do like a quick in memoriam to the entire House of Gucci uh, press blitz? It's wonderful to be in the Oscars conversation. Well, I, you know, I, I went to, I went to acting school when I was really young. Uh, so, I, and I didn't take film and television classes. I took theater classes. And, the, and I feel like I put in a cauldron, like a witch, all the things about myself that were her. And I left out anything that wasn't. And then I filled in all the gaps with a biography that I did studied Lee Strasberg method and um, Stanislavski, which is what Lee Strasberg's derived from. I also studied Meisner techniques, Stella Adler. I went to Circle in the Square. Um, I wrote a letter to myself and I said, I don't need you anymore. Does anyone ever, uh, do you ever drink the, the prop drinks and actually feel drunk even though they're not real? I, I, I do. Because Donatella and I are like sisters, so that I mean, yeah. I spent a lot of time talking this way, just as Stephanie, myself, that's my weird name, my Italian name Stefania. The way that I would explain it to you is if I were to call you on the phone, I would have spoken to you just like this. I wouldn't have pretended that I'm Patrizia. You just would have been like, oh, I'm on the phone with Patrizia. I need only the parts of you that are meaningful for Patrizia. We would be all worse off if we didn't have it. I know we all, some people got more angry at Lady Gaga than others or more annoyed at her than others. But I think, I do feel like enough people sort of appreciated it for what it is, which is a burlesque of Oscar campaigning. And I do kind of have a hard time believing that she was serious this whole time. I think she was a little bit taking the piss out of things like DiCaprio saying that he, you know, almost died on the revenant or whatever well this is also this is always the thing with lady gaga is how much of it is a performance and how much of it is her just being like a really overly earnest theater kid and it is a combination of both and sometimes i would believe it if you told me that she didn't always know where on what side of the line she was falling because i agree (laughs) you know that one jenna maroney line where she's just like uh i'm waiting for them to have a category for uh living theatrically at the tonys and i'm just like that's lady gaga like lady gaga deserves an award for living theatrically and and she gave us so much (laughs) well i also think like There's a certain extent where I don't think the Academy cares if you're being tryhard about something. No, right. Um, They more so kind of want you to want it. But I do think that a lot of her fuckery on her campaign is why she's not nominated. Well, and this is going to be one of... it, It hit the tipping point of people being like, okay enough yes like right as voting was happening and that tipping point was the video about uh drinking your prop beverages and and thinking it's alcohol uh the looks on all of those other women's faces i felt like was uh plausibly indicative of you know the vibe maybe towards her penelope cruz biting her lip (laughs) um Jennifer Hudson clutching her pearls. Clutching her pearls. That's my favorite look. That was my favorite the look. The only time Kirsten Dunst has felt like the mean girl, maybe. Of oh, like, man. You know, so funny. 
that, so, not so the mean funny. girl, but you know, no, the person no. in the room who is the closest to saying the thing everyone is thinking, even though it might be mean to do so. It was it was magical though. The whole thing was magical. I was really um, just such a big fan of it the whole way through. I hope we get more Oscar campaigning like this. And but yeah, I think you're right. I think the idea of it's a delicate balance. This is also though. Best Actress 2021 is going to be one of those categories that I automatically jumps to the top of my list of I would love to see the voting breakdown for this because yes. I the fact that so many women were in play up until the last minute, the fact that I don't think Gaga was even sixth. I think she might have been like seventh or eighth. Who would you who would you imagine was sixth? Up and I was really starting to think that I mean I kind of didn't expect Kristen Stewart to get in, but I think it was Jennifer Hudson. I expected Stewart to get in, but I also expected Jennifer Hudson to get in. I was I was hoping for Penelope Cruz, but I was not uh, putting right. her in my in my predictions. But yeah, I think Hudson was definitely pretty high up there. Would love to I see where Gaga like finished. Fourth through eighth was probably all very close. That's what I have to feel like. Yeah, it's not just like who was on the list, but like how thin those margins were. I feel mm-hmm. like it would be really interesting to to see that. But yeah, I think you're right. I think Coleman and Kidman probably ahead of everybody, and then a real scrum for those other three nominations. Well, and I'm hoping to write about this, but like it does feel like the best actress race of twenty years ago in that like as a as of recording right now, you know, we haven't had any of the major precursors and the globes basically don't count anymore. But like right. it does feel like a year where we could get a different winner at every ceremony. Which is sort of what we had last year, too, remember? Because um, Francis won... No, Andre Day won the Globe. Viola Davis won the SAG. Carrie Mulligan won the BAFTA? No. Carrie won something. In the late stages, I feel like. Hold, please. I can look this up. Yeah, thanks. But I, I feel like there was like a big spread last year of everybody kind of got something distinct. Which was pretty cool, except for Vanessa Kirby, who was th- thrilled to be nominated. Which is no shade. I just mean that, like, it was a good career bump for Vanessa Kirby to get that Best Actress nomination, even though no one hated that movie. that movie. Yeah, no one's going to remember that movie. But um, people already don't remember that movie, and yeah, no shade to Vanessa Kirby. They do not remember that performance. Um, I think the that person this year could v- just as e- Jessica Chastain could just as easily Vanessa Kirby this year as she could be the eventual winner i think but i think jessica chastain's advantage in terms of like memorability is is a lot higher than vanessa kirby's like it's going to be hard to forget that performance because it's so uh, big and theatrical and and you know playing a real person and all this sort of stuff i do feel like we got the best case scenario of the five nominees that were plausible i I yeah. I would not have been mad at a Lady Gaga nomination, but like of those performances, I couldn't rank her performance ahead of any of those five who got who got. Nominated. Well, and also it's like the best actress lineup that we were maybe thinking it would be like a few months ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's the best case scenario or yeah. close to it, and uh, you know, it feels yeah. like the scrum of the past maybe two months yes. didn't mean anything. Uh, by the way, last year. Globes went to Andrew Day and Rosamund Pike. Right. Uh, Viola Davis got SAG. Francis got BAFTA. 
And then Carrie Mulligan got Critics' Choice and Indie Spirit. That's what it was. The Indie Spirit was the late one that I was thinking of, but Critics' Choice as well. Yeah. So it was a real, it was a real interesting spread last year, which um, would love more years like that. So if, if that's how this year shakes out, too, uh, it'll be good. I thought yeah. it was generally a really good set of Oscar nominations, even though when the everybody went around sort of ranking their best picture choices, I realized that like best picture is maybe my weak link of a category where I only really love maybe the top four, and then everything else I'm either middling on or don't like. Yeah, best picture is the one where I'm like, okay, I'm happy broadly with the Oscar nominations. The this top year, ones but, like, are really I don't top. Love this best picture lineup. My very, very favorites of the year are on it. So, like, Power of the Dog is yeah. there. West Side Story is there. I still need to see Drive My Car, but I have every faith that I will really love it. And um, once then I get past – oh, and Dune, which I also really love. And then once I get past that, it's like I have to confront the fact that I do like Belfast a lot better than a lot of other people do. I wanted to like Coda more than I – I did like Coda, but I was like, I think my expectations were higher on Coda than it ended up being. King Richard, I think, has significant flaws. Nightmare Alley, I think, is super boring. Licorice Pizza, I am outside of the cult of that. And Don't Look Up is bad. Yeah, I mean, like, my my tops would be, obviously, Power of the Dog and Drive My Car. And um, I like Licorice Pizza and West Side Story. But beyond that, I'm like... I either have middling feelings or like yeah. outright negative feelings about everything else. And yeah. like my weakest would easily be Bill Belfast. Yeah, yeah. You and I are are uh, opposite on that one. But I think the acting categories are pretty great actually. And even some of the um surprises, like I know Javier Bardem was nobody's choice for what they wanted in best actor, but if the if the other big contender was DiCaprio and Don't Look Up, I'm glad it went this way. So I'm just still surprised that Javier Bardem was campaigned in lead. I don't think he's a lead of that movie. Oh, I do. I think he's I think there's he a has lot like of like a few big moments, but like he's not in that movie that much. I don't know. I think there's so much of that movie that is sort of two-hander between the two of them in terms of like their relationship and their uh you know, how they negotiate sort of power dynamics in their relationship. And then he also has his moments where he's sort of wrangling with the the studio people on his own. I, I support that as a Maybe as a I'd have to see it again. But, like, I felt like even their stuff together was so, like, wholeheartedly, like, from Lucy's perspective. And, like, Lucy's doing all of the, like heavy lifting Sorkin speak in all of those. I scenes. think campaigning Bardem in, in supporting actor would have been a real, I think you wouldn't have that JK Simmons nomination. It would. Yeah. But I think Simmons is, probably deserves his nomination more than Bardem deserves his, but um, I don't mind that Simmons nomination. I think he's actually, I think he actually, I think does. it's unsurprising that he got that nomination. Oh, fully. As much like, as everybody else was like, wow. I was like, no, I, that was one of those ones, again, we, uh, Esther and I talked about it when we were on that Twitter spaces uh, on nomination day. Mm-hmm. Like, that screening that we saw with all the Guild members, like, loved J.K. Simmons. Like, that was yeah. uh, very, very much not surprising. But I was glad that, like, Anjanou Ellis got nominated because I was really kind of worried that uh, that she was going to be left out. I was glad that um, – I'm trying to look around this. I mean, Garfield wasn't going to miss, but I was still just like – 
exhaled a little bit when that nomination happened because it a year, like a year ago that would have felt so unlikely to me. Right. So right, right. I was glad that Kristen Stewart made it because that was certainly in question. I don't love Jesse Buckley, but like whatever. There were th- two other people in the Lost Daughter I would have nominated ahead of her, but I agree. It's still an interesting nomination. So feels very um Sally Hawkins getting the nomination for Blue Jasmine to me, and that it's like <laughs> probably zero chance of winning. This is a performer who probably should have been nominated for better work in previous movies over this performance. But like, if it means that this is a performer who's now in the Oscar fold, I'm fine sure. with it. Sure, sure, sure. I get that. I get that. One day I will uh, I will get on the Jesse Buckley train for something, but, uh, <laughs> but maybe not it will today. Be entirely subtly titled not we have no idea what this movie is about even though it's giving us a mystery box like teaser trailer men men (laughs) all right if it wasn't for that title i would be on board for this movie but it's like thank you for telling me everything about what your allegory is by just titling your movie men I want them to to program men and nope uh, in a double feature in that order. So once Listen, again, that men, trailer is dropping nope. tomorrow, and it is probably my most anticipated movie of the year. Can't wait for nope. I have nothing negative to say about nope. I'm excited uh, at for least nope. Of the trailer, I'm excited for nope. I'm also excited for men. Like I am also like I Alex Garland has earned my has earned my trust at this point. So. But we're not here to talk about the ones who were nominated, Chris. I'm sure we'll pepper our conversation with a little bit more discussion of the actual nominees throughout. But as we are here to do, we're here to talk about movies that got no nominations. Or for the most part. We we have some recurring categories. I brought in a new category because I thought it would be interesting based on this year. Maybe it won't be as interesting in the future. But... Class of 2021. Class of 2021. I think broadly, there's less movies than there have been in recent years. Like in our big master spreadsheet of like titles and such, I feel like this is going to be not as deep of a column as like 2018, 2019 were. I think that's probably true. And last year, it was a weird thing where everything seemed possible because... The and bar here will probably avoid doing movies on anyway. <laughs> that's probably true. Um, although it'll be interesting in maybe several years to kind of like dip back into that. But this felt like a return to the more traditional uh, places we would look to for Oscar buzz. And some of these movies that missed had like early festival buzz, and some of these had like year ahead sort of rose colored glasses stuff. Some of these ones were. A couple of them were like late breaking. Maybe they could get in there. I'm thinking of like Mahershala Ali and Swan Song, which was something mm-hmm. that I think a few people had convinced themselves was a possibility, and that ultimately didn't happen. Or I was still, I didn't think it would happen, but there was still a small part of me that I was like, maybe Nicolas Cage and Pig could happen. And yeah, I think they missed the the window of opportunity for that, though. Unfortunately, it's such a good performance. I do feel like. Yeah. Nicolas Cage giving a performance of that caliber 
because he makes he peppers his career with such other crap that like it is a shooting star that we really do need to grab onto whenever we get the chance and we didn't. I do ultimately think if that's not a summer movie, that movie has a completely different or if it's not released in summer, like yeah. if that had been released in the fall, I think it would have had a whole other different awards life than it did. Imagine that movie being a TIFF movie in a traditional TIFF year where people are, like, in town. Like, people would really... That would have been a great word-of-mouth movie. Right? Right. Yeah. It's too bad. So, let's get into our categories, then. Yes. Uh, Kicking us right off, the Cake Memorial Award for our happiest miss, the movie we are most happy, did not get an Oscar nomination. So my choice for this is less schadenfreude and more mercenary, which is, you know, I have to watch all of the nominated movies so that I can do my rankings. And And you don't want to watch something. Last year was a horror show of me being unprepared. And uh, part of that was uh, pandemic depression ennui where I was just like, I'm not seeing that until I have to. And then all of a sudden it was like, I have 20 movies I need to see before the Oscars. And this year it was only seven, which uh, I was very happy with. I felt much better prepared. I think um, Sundance, you know, participating in Sundance helped and uh, participating in TIFF, which I wasn't able to do the year before, uh, helped. So that was nice. Um, The one movie I was certain I was going to have to watch, and now I don't have to, uh, is Respect. And I'm glad that that is the case. No shade against Jennifer Hudson specifically, and certainly no shade against Audra McDonald, who is a queen. But Audra McDonald is in that movie for four minutes. That's sort of what I felt like after watching that trailer. I'm like, is this all we're seeing of Audra McDonald in this movie? Like, maybe so. I'm just so weary of the musician biopic at this point. I feel like the beats of those movies are so well-worn. We never see anything interesting. They always feel like such a chore. Even something like uh, the Billie Holiday movie last year, where like, even with Lee Daniels, like Lee Daniels it up. take on it. Yeah. Even that felt like a chore. It was so long, and it was so just like, I did not... That uh, it was a slog, and I was like, and respect sort of was waiting down the road as like the latest biopic of a musician to follow these same exact beats, and I'm just really glad that I can push that one off for you know if it's on television or something, and I come across it. I've been seeing a lot of tweets about people watching that movie on a plane. Oh, that's interesting, <laughs> and it makes it makes total sense because it's long enough to occupy. Yeah, it's like two and a half hours long, I think. Um. That's another movie that I'm like, if they hadn't released that in the summer, it probably would have had more heat around it. But you're not wrong about the musical biopic thing. I feel that way about musical documentaries. It's like this last Sundance. Like, I'll be honest, I didn't even consider watching the Sinead O'Connor one, even though a lot of people say that it's quite good because, like, I'm just relinquishing myself from musical documentaries unless they're doing something actually interesting like summer of soul does um the thing about respect is like it really kind of is everything you expect in that regard of a musical biopic but there's like sequences of it that kind of look shitty and cheap and yeah jennifer hudson is great but to what end yeah and I, what I was really worried about was like, because I was so concerned with the best actress, and I'm like, if this misses best actress, but then still gets best song, I'm going to be like, even more annoyed because I don't know. 
uh, alone best song nominee that makes you watch something you don't want to watch. Hello, uh, bad Glenn Close Mila Kunis movie that I'm going to have to watch we'll that I still can't it. remember the title. That is always the most annoying to me. And I really thought Respect was going to do that to me. And it didn't. So, yes. What is your pick for this category? I had a lot of options. Like, <laughs> certain things, like... I do think maybe the worst movie I saw this whole season was The Tender Bar. Oh, but right. Like, you know, that was really only ever in discussion for Ben Affleck. And, like, right. if I'm even on the upswing with Ben Affleck, then, like, we're in a real place, guys. <laughs> um, so I don't necessarily want to shit on Ben Affleck. So many people on Oscar morning were, like, justice for The Last Duel. And I was like, in what universe did you think The Last Duel was going to get nominated? Um, like... At this stage in the game, I get maybe a month or two ago being like, it's too bad that The Last Duel isn't, isn't in the conversation because I like that movie. But I really like that movie, actually. Like, I, I it was in my top 10 uh, this year. But, like, I'm a realist. And of- be a, that'll be an interesting uh, option for the future of, like, talking how that movie went down. That, yes. Well, uh, put a pin in that because that's maybe going to come up uh, a little bit later but i just feel like people like ben affleck should have been nominated for the last duel i'm like i agree with you but like in no sane universe was that ever going to happen so like what are we talking about here what are we wasting our energy on there's there's other things that i would put here like you and i are incredibly uh (laughs) divided on mass yes we are but like i i think that's a Bad, you danced your little jig that it did movie, not get and like maybe if that had like screenplay action going around it, I would think about it for this category. But like it really was only ever for the actors, and at the end of the day, if it had gotten an acting nomination for that movie, I hate. Fine, you're gonna be but so mad when that wins best for screenplay at the Spirit Awards. Like I'm over like some other good stuff. Yes, I will be not pleased about that um but my actual choice for this is a movie that died pretty quickly after it premiered and like i was bracing for this to like be a potential career play for its lead actor when it's like i hated it's a remake and i hated the original and this is maybe slightly better but like i just think it's kind of a toxic movie and like rubs the audience's nose and shit for no real reason are you leading up to stillwater is that what you're doing? No, I'm leading up to the guilty. Oh God! I'm glad that that movie yes is completely forgotten. I'm yes. sure our listeners forgot that it existed into the, the absolute abyss of, of Netflix movies that didn't get a, a serious campaign. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it premiered at TIFF and then was on Netflix a few weeks after, and then like when their season really kind of picked up. You know, it it was just a non-entity. And I'm very happy about that. This is a thing I feel like maybe we should talk about when we talk, when we look ahead towards next year, which is the Netflix problem of they have so many movies. And when they decide that they are going to really ride for you as an awards contender, you're going to be in for something really good. If you're Power of the Dog this year, it worked out for you. If you're The Lost Daughter, it worked out for you. If you're The Hand of God, it worked out for you. But, but if they if that movie drops on the platform in September or October, they're probably not giving you a big push, which if, is right. And if, what happened with Passing, if too. you and if Passing, you, they did some for, but like Passing, they did more than they did for like The Harder They Fall or uh, or certainly The Guilty. I think they did a lot for The Harder They Fall, though. 
Just for the song, I feel like, though. I feel like that was the only... I feel like they were very concentrated in trying to get uh, a but song But they were nomination. booking it at their... They were booking it pretty regularly at their theaters, like the Paris and New York, and... That's true, and Jonathan Majors was in a bunch of uh, of campaign stuff. He was on the actor roundtable and that kind of thing. I, I mean, I'm not saying they did as much as they did for Power of the Dog for it, but... Right, right. But I think something like... I think just when you are not the Netflix priority, it... It feels very apparent. Whereas other studios have a smaller roster in general. So, you know, like all... every every studio has a top priority. Yes. But yes. like, yes. I think places like maybe Searchlight do a better job of like balancing that. Well, and I just think the sheer size of Netflix's uh, lineups every year just make it really glaring that there are several movies that are just very much not their priority. Right. Yeah. Next category, the Justice for Slaughter race for Saddest Snub. I love, by the way, that we've continued to call this category Justice for Slaughter race because, like, every year we feel it becomes very strongly about Justice for Slaughter race. Every year it becomes farther and farther away of like, what are we talking about? And like, what we're talking about is, uh, what is the actual title of the song? Is a place called Slaughter a place called Slaughter race? What's the title of that? I song? do believe uh, from um, uh, Wreck It Ralph that we both thought should have been nominated for Best Original Song, and we're going to still ride for it. All right, what was your saddest snub, Chris? I could approach this from two ways. If I'm going to say singular snub, that was probably the only thing the movie was, uh, you know, in the race for. Yeah. Like, if I was going to go that way, it would probably be Annette for its original song campaign. I thought it should have been in the score race as well. Yeah. But, like... Thinking more broadly, like, the movie I'm saddest that, like, not just a nomination, but was never really in the race at all because of the way it was positioned, uh, my answer for this is The Humans. And, like, yeah, I didn't do a great job with it either because, like, I left it off of my, like, top 25 list. But, like, I think, yeah. generally speaking, that is a movie that deserved a much fairer shot than it got. Um, and there's a lot to like talk about. And I think even the people who talked about it kind of reduced it to talking about Jane Howdy shell, who's great because I think all the performances in the movie are good. Yeah. But like, I didn't even think she was the top two performances in that movie. Um, right. Well, the humans is a very particular kind of, uh, uh, Oscar failure story. I hate to really say it that way because it sounds you know, mean to it, to the movie, but there were a lot of things sort of converging on it. It's the, it's the movie with too many very good performances and no, no singular one that stands out over the other ones so much that it demands attention. And especially in a movie that is that small to have the ensemble be, it's a true ensemble movie and to have everybody being on the level of like good to quite good. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people, some people had Jane Howdyshell as their number one. Some people had Richard Jenkins as their number one. Some, I think you and I both have Amy Schumer as our best in show for that movie. Yep. Yep. And and it's tough for that to break out, especially when you are a small movie like that. Yeah. And it's the type of movie in an awards race that kind of relies on acting nominations to push it forward and to get people to see it. Yes. But it's also like the movie doesn't capture those great performances in a way that like 
Oh, right. It's filmed you know, it, and even just from a distance to the camera that. perspective. Like, like, like Yeah, like it it it's the movie doing its own thing but still having these great performances in it. But like I think overall in the season like you didn't see like debut director nominations for Stephen right. Karam. Like right. it, I think that movie just got screwed. And it's, it's also, why, like, I, I would place a lot of it to A24 kind of dumping it on Showtime. On Showtime, yeah. Which, like, has me feeling quite bleak about After Yang coming out next month. Everybody, if you can't see it in a theater, please just figure it out and watch it on Showtime. I swear to God. Once that um, happened, once they once they made the decision to put the humans out on Showtime, I think everybody wrote it off. And Yep. And it's too bad. The other thing about the humans, though, is the kind of movie that it is, which is the always secretly low key, the most tragic kind of movie, which is a movie that deserves crafts nominations that doesn't seem like the kind of movie that would get crafts nominations, like a small, uh, you know, family drama like that doesn't ever scream like this should be a sound nominee, but like yeah. the humans, one million percent should be a sound nominee. It doesn't mm-hmm. scream like this should be an, a production design nominee, but like one billion percent it should. And those are the movies I feel the 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 most frustration for because it's just like you're just never going to convince someone that like the humans and dune are on the same level in terms of craft and yet i absolutely think that they are someone let alone thousands of someone that's what i mean yeah like yeah it's a bummer it's a bummer yeah and i just worry about like this scale not just this scale of movie but like this scale of craftsmanship that's not that like it's you can't call the movie not showy because what it's doing in its concept right. is very like clear and makes it clear to yeah. you. But like, yes. I don't know. It doesn't work within a certain formula, so it's not going to get it, that type of attention. And because of it that, demands, it demands close, undivided attention. It demands watching it in a theater. Like we, people talk about movies you have to see in theaters, your you know big action spectacles and whatever. But and this is something that. Uh, David Ehrlich said on Fighting in the War Room, I can't remember in what context, but I think when they were doing their Top Tens episode, he was just like, the movies that you really need to actually see in a theater are the ones that demand a like sensory deprivation level of attention. And that's also like, just the intention of getting out of the house and going to the theater. Like it sounds so simple. Yeah. But that's actually the hugest thing. Like you yeah. are reserving that chunk of time to this activity. Like, yes. And I think something like the humans, if you're watching that on showtime in your living room in the middle of the day or whatever, first of all, the glare on your television is going to be lethal to that movie. But second of all, 1000%. It's just you're, it, it really suffers from not having your absolute undivided darkened movie theater attention. And, and I think that's true asshole, of a lot of but movies, but you have to have showtime. Like people. Yeah. Don't well, have yeah. <laughs> Real. Um, unless what you... about yours, let's talk about your saddest note. Right. So one, I, I would initially sort of looking into the best actor race for this, because there were a couple that we talked about Nicholas Cage in Pig that I was really, really bummed that he didn't get a nomination for that. And I also was equally bummed that Simon Rex did not get nominated for Red Rocket. I wasn't, again, deluding myself into thinking that that was possible. But six months ago, or eight months ago, 
uh, whatever after the can reception, and then certainly after <laughs> he was I your saw little it, little gold man prediction, right? He was, he was. That would have been a real. And I stand, I still think that's a really good prediction, even if it didn't happen, um, because I think I was absolutely on the money in terms of what that narrative was going to be. I think if that movie and his performance had gotten a bigger response in can it would have done a lot for this movie but once i saw it i was just like yeah this absolutely deserves to be nominated and it's going to have a tough time doing it which uh is a bummer i think it's so i think it's such a great performance and i think it will be remembered as such almost you know not necessarily better off for not getting nominated because you know this is Simon Rex's shot. I don't. It's it's tough to be like, you know, he'll get him next time, when this feels like you know so such a once in a lifetime opportunity for him. But my actual choice for this category is, I think you are on the on the right track. Mine is in that, which I really did think it was possible that it was going to get a best song nomination, and it really should have. And they could have opened the Oscar telecast and been cool as fuck. They could have gotten like cameos it's to, like, so do it. like, so it was up it was being campaigned for so may we start which is the opening number to Annette. if listeners uh have seen that movie and if you haven't go see it it's wild it's more than and just a puppet awesome. baby but it is also a puppet baby it is it's a really really good movie and yeah so the opening number is just sort of like uh adam driver and marion cotillard and they're like sort of band of singers sort of walking through the city and accumulating people as they go and uh singing this opening number which is about starting a musical so it's just like very like it's metatextual and you're you're absolutely right what a great idea for opening the oscars you could have had with just like people like joining from the red carpet and like moving into the theater and joining from their seats and yeah, it would have been great. I mean, what a fucking great movie. And, like, the type of movie that, like, the Academy's never going to go for it. So it's like, it would have yeah. felt really fucking cool yes. if they, if Annette was an Oscar nominee in yep. some way. Yep. And I think ultimately that movie is screwed because Amazon, both for television and film, are not good at campaigning. Yep. Um, but, like, if it was for Amazon, that movie wouldn't probably exist. Um. And it'll be, like, the last weird movie Amazon ever makes because it was, like, the last one of, like, they've had a turnover at the highest levels of, right. uh, you know, Prime right. Video. Yeah. So you will never have another movie like that on Amazon. But it's also just a great movie that, like, again, dropped in the summer. And I think, you know, weirdos like us and, like, a lot of cinephiles still love that movie. But, like, it, yes. it felt like it should have had more of a foothold on the season generally. 100%. So I think it's a great choice. 100%. Yep. All right. So we're going to add a category. because I added this category for us because I feel like we've had a lot of listener responses about this but also like wanting to know what we think about this so we're adding the adversary in commerce award for film we wish we could cover on the podcast yeah my choice for this is pretty basic and and i could have gone off the beaten path but like it's house of gucci a house of gucci episode would be everything we want out of this had Oscar Buzz episode. There's ridiculousness. Consider this class of 2021 episode our House of Gucci episode. Certainly, um, it's it's got ridiculousness. It's got great campaigning. It's got a variety of responses to the movie, which you know some people really liked it, some people really hated it, some people were more in the middle, which is more like me. And 
I'm fascinated by what worked about it, what didn't work about it, what could have been better. We could have argued about Jared Leto, which would have been interesting and fun. Um, I always am kind of amused by seeing anytime I advance any kind of positive opinion about that performance on Twitter, people get so mad at me. And I think it's very funny. (laughs) Um, See, the thing is people have, there are people that think positively about that movie. I don't think there's a lot of people that love that movie. Like there's not a lot of people who are necessary. There are people who are passionate about Gaga. Yeah. And there are some people who are passionate about Jared Leto in that movie. Nobody's passionate about the movie. I, I've, I've encountered a few people who really thought it was, it was really, great it was really entertaining and i'm not there but i i appreciate that take on it i'm much more i am much more aligned with the people who would love that movie than the people who think it's like irredeemable trash i mean i think there are flashes of greatness in the movie where there's like points where I was like, oh, this is where yes. the movie's going to lock in. Yes. And then it kind of dumps that idea. Yep. Or like, this is when the movie's going to be like, this is the thesis of this movie. And then it kind of dumps it. And it's like, kind just, of unconscionable I, that Salma Hayek is in some of the more boring parts of the movie. Like, Salma Hayek <laughs> should not be in the more boring parts of your movie. Like, that's insane. Stop that. I I mean, I think it's a movie that's as fascinating to talk about as it is just, like, not very interesting to talk about. Like, I think it's just kind of a boring mess um, to, like, actually... I think talking about everything around the movie is way more interesting than talking about the movie. Sure, but I would also like to work out... I think it's one of those movies that is like, why doesn't this thing work for me? And I think you and I would have would have some re- pretty interesting sure, conversations sure. about that. I mean, like, reportedly, he'd... Up until close, he'd been like working on the edit of the movie, and like this was a fast turnaround. It was, and like Ridley Scott can pull it off. Like you know, I'm one of the fans of all the money in the world, right? But this, I just don't think he does. Like reportedly, it was over three hours within the months leading up to, and the I feel release. like that, like, like there was there were stories shows. about that, right? Like I feel like that information leaked that it was this well, like insanely long. But cut. also, like you can tell that like they're cutting corners because he wants to tell. Like there's whole narrative threads that don't get like yeah brought together, and like you can tell that this is like some ocean barge of a movie that he's trying to turn into a yacht. Yes, and yeah. it's like it's just it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Mine is a little more schadenfreude. Uh, okay. <laughs> I really wish we could do, after seeing the movie, I wish we could do a Four Good Days episode. <laughs> life, I mean, yeah. The life of that movie, because it premiered at I the last Sundance before the pandemic, where, you know, you have the pandemic hits and all the people that went to that Sundance like are tweeting like, wait, did I get COVID at that Sundance? I came back right. with the worst flu of my life. Um, and like immediately any buzz for it died. Yes. Because, like, of course, there was the Glenn Close conversation at that point, And, like, you know, given the subject matter, it felt like a serious thing. Immediately, it died and then is, like, wiped off the face of the earth because yep. critics were so dismissive. Part of me thinks people were too, like, immediately dismissive to the movie because there's some good stuff in it, including Glenn Close. Yeah. But there's also some really cringy stuff in it. And of course, it has a Diane Warren song, and we love talking about Diane Warren songs, especially her bad ones. But can we talk about the music video for that song, though? Briefly, it's very "I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman." It is, but it's Reba 
wandering the desert in her little cowboy hat and her little sort of uh, sweater jacket thing that sort of like southwestern poncho jacket thing Mm -hmm. wandering the desert in like whatever the hills at red rocks or something getting these like beautifully filmed i think it's directed i think it's directed by the director of the of the movie rodrigo garcia yeah um rodrigo garcia would also be fascinating to talk about because he gets a lot of these great actresses in his movies and is like going for low-key things that should work and a lot of the movies just don't i know Um, but I had to, I was absolutely compelled to screen grab Reba in the desert and then contrast it with Reba as Trish, the water spirit, because I was like, <laughs> she's really calling upon the elements now where it's just like, this is Tr- Reba as Trish, the water spirit. This is Reba as Trish's sister, Patty, the desert spirit. And it's just, she's every woman. You it's need all to find her. Reba in a forest. I Reba in a forest. And then Reba in like... You're going to have a full Captain Planet like cornucopia of Reba. Reba amid flames, just sort of like calling upon Hades or something like that. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's great. It's super great. By their powers combined. Yeah, yeah, totally. People think... I I was talking to a friend about this. I feel like... I, I don't want to say that like I'm shitting on Glenn Close. I feel very much like Nadia on... What we do in the shadows, talking about Nandor's girlfriend. Like, I like her. Like, I feel like I have to yell this constantly, and no one is convinced. But, like, I do actually think Glenn Close is in that movie. That's exactly. Wait a second. Kunis is. That's the perfect comparison because that exactly. Because I am absolutely everybody else in that show being like, you really hate Glenn Close. And you're like, I don't hate Glenn Close. Nandor's girlfriend. That's wait, who played Nandor's girlfriend in that? That was somebody, right? <sighs> I forget. What a perfect show. I'm so mad that it's taken me this long to Ugh. It's so it's good. a perfect show. It's a perfect show. Nadia's my favorite. I have Oh, it's Ada Turturro. Harvey Guillen. It's Ada Turturro. Oh, uh, from yeah. uh, from The Sopranos. Very funny. Yes. Uh yeah, you and Harvey Guillen are are a match made in heaven for sure. As um, friend and former guest Kyle Amato puts it, I am down bad. <laughs> Whereas I will have a uh, wonderful, long, and platonic life with the doll Nadia for the rest of my life. The two of us just sort of <laughs> being spinsters together. That's what I want. <laughs> the Nadia doll is my favorite. I love her so much. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, yes. uh, let's move on to our next category yeah. again. Uh Again, a title we have not changed and we shan't change. Uh, the Dr. Louise Banks Award for Most Surprising Shutout. Yeah, uh, great respect to Dr. Louise Banks of uh, of the film Arrival for this, the most surprising shutout. Uh, not in any major categories, because I wasn't, wasn't expecting it to show up in any major categories, but it is surprising to me. I thought, if I do have one complaint about this year's Oscar ballot, it's that the craft categories hewed very closely together. I mentioned mm-hmm. in uh, my Facts and Figures article for Vanity Fair that production design and cinematography matched five for five. That hasn't happened ever since the categories were split, were combined from uh, black and white and color. They used to be split along those lines, and then they were combined in 1968. And since then, it's never happened that both of those categories have matched five for five. And... 
Um, even when you go into like costume design, like it's still Dune, Nightmare Alley, West Side Story, which is not to say in any way that those movies are unworthy of that, but just there were sometimes the Academy gets a little bit more interesting in peppering those categories with outliers. And sometimes it's, you know, not always our favorite things, but I do feel like it's interesting that it, that when um the Black Dahlia will get a weird nomination or the Duchess will get a nomination or, you know, the young Victoria or, or right. Exactly. That's the thing. And this yeah, year, like, I, I'm going to agree with you here because the like limited scope and like part of that is because you do have a movie that's so broadly loved, like the power of the dog getting a lot of those nominations, or you have a movie that is like, well, of course, you know, Dune getting right. all of those craft sure. nominations. And it's like, Yes. Part of that is a limited space, but like usually you would expect like a fifth nominee from something somewhere. It's to the point where it's like Cruella has multiple Oscar nominations. And I know some people gag for that costume design. Oh, I'm one of them. I don't I don't take issue with either one of Cruella's nominations, actually. I think they fully deserve both of them. I okay. That makeup nomination. I mean, it's good makeup. It's 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 signature and paint on Emma Stone. It's really like, good clown paint. It's okay. really good clown paint. I mean, so is the Eyes of Tammy Faye makeup, and that's really good clown paint. I mean... Right? That's more like along the lines of the House of Gucci nomination in makeup to me. I think House of Gucci is a step down from both Cruella and Eyes of Tammy Faye when it comes to makeup. I will say. I mean... I, I'm not going to be enthused with the makeup and hairstyling nomination until we have something like rotten and nasty in it. Like, I want, I don't know. What's a disgusting horror movie that we've seen recently? Oh, I want it nominated. God. Um, I mean, the answer to this question is the green. No, well, the, no, the answer makeup, to this but... question is Malignant should have been nominated in makeup and hairstyling, film okay. editing, and costume design. We disagree highly on Malignant as well. Oh, you're I'm one insane. of those people who doesn't know how to have fun and hated Malignant. Oh my god, I can't believe it. I can't, I cannot, I can't deal with you. Okay, um, but anyway, so pursuant to the the craft categories being very samey, I was surprised that the French Dispatch didn't show up anywhere. Because yeah. even if it wasn't going to be a Best Picture nominee, or if poor Jeffrey Wright, who was so good in that movie, didn't even sniff the Supporting Actor category, which is a damn shame um they really they've they've turned the corner on wes anderson he's part of the club now like mm-hmm. grand budapest hotel got eight bajillion nominations and french dispatch doesn't get any doesn't get production design doesn't get costume design it's it's puzzling to me that this is the movie they decided they were out on it's the first movie of his that's gotten shut out entirely since darjeeling limited in 07 it's a long i can buy it time. as a sixth place nominee in a couple categories but i think it's puzzling on several fronts first of all it's like the only thing that searchlight was pushing that didn't get anything yeah um it's like even to the point where i was like if it gets nothing else it'll be nominated for alexander plaza's score because they nominate him for everything yeah and they didn't yeah so it's surprising it's really surprising it's too bad i really liked that movie what is your choice for surprising shutout I mean, I probably would have put French Dispatch as, like, my number one pick for that, too. But I guess my second place is going to be Passing, even though I, um, even though, like, we talked about how Netflix, you know, positioned their priorities. But, like, 
Ruth Nega was, like, I know a lot of people were doubting her chances of getting in, but, like, she was one of the supporting actress mainstays throughout the season. And, yeah. like, all the way back to... They you know, campaigned Tessa Thompson, in, too, I thought. Like, more than I was expecting them she to. got the BAFTA nomination yeah. Um, yeah and like she was on the actress round table yep. and even even just beyond those two performances like there was a lot in play for that movie or maybe you would have thought there would be like cinematography you know yeah it, it's surprising that it didn't even get like one loan back to what you were saying there's like not a whole lot of variety in those yeah craft nominations it's like it felt like it could have gotten something like that you know I wish I I I wish I liked that movie better. I felt yeah, kind of estranged the, of from the from the enthusiasm. There was so much as the year went on, so many people were talking about it's the best movie nobody's talking about. If it doesn't get there's you a know, range of responses to that movie. Yeah, but I feel like all I was seeing in the last few months was just like really, really strong praise and it was in people's top ten lists. And, you know, if Ruth Nega doesn't get there's nominated, I'm gonna burn it down. Too. I've not I mean, seen any I've not seen any I, of that reaction, I will say. I will say my I had a colder response to it when I revisited it over the season. I do still wish that I'd had the opportunity to see it in a theater. Yeah, of course. Um, but like, especially for Ruth, I thought was one of the performances of the year, and she's quite good. I don't know if I would go quite that high on on it, uh, but I, I think she has a lot fantastic. to balance in that movie, and I think you yeah. know it could be like one of those actorly ticky type of things and i think it's I yeah think it's quite compelling. she's very good she's very good in that movie i don't dislike the movie this is the thing these are the most frustrating movies for me it was just like i don't dislike it but i just i wish i could see in it what some of its more uh ardent supporters see in it it is kind of a wavelength movie in a way because it is so interior to tessa thompson's character yeah that like if people don't get on its wavelength like i get it i understand why um yeah but yeah and i also feel like this is kind of a year where maybe excluding nightmare alley having a wide range of responses when there isn't at least a firm camp in the pro right for a movie like those movies just generally got screwed although tragedy of macbeth was kind of that too right there was a wide variety of responses to Tragedy of Macbeth, yeah. and I don't feel like there were a ton it, it, of people who were riding really, really strong for it. I think it does have a platform that a lot of movies don't have sure. because it's a Joel Cohen movie. And, and it's Denzel, like, and it's, yeah, yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it already kind of has an avenue. That's a movie that I was surprised didn't do a little bit better because, like, even though Apple wasn't yeah. doing much for the movie, I was like, the Coens have surprised. Apple for... wasn't, but A24 actually was really campaigning it. They were screening it in theaters again, and they were they did, like, an IMAX screening of it in big cities, and they were really pushing the visuals of it and... I was really expecting it to get a Best Picture nomination by the end there because it was such a late-breaking rise, like a spike in, in visibility uh, from specifically A24 campaigning for it. Yeah. Because yeah, obviously I mean, Apple like, was all in on CODA. Yeah. And, like, even CODA is one of those movies that, like, has a wide range of responses, but, like, yeah. has a firm pro camp. Same yes. for Belfast. Yes. And like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I guess Nightmare Alleys would have just 
been from, you know, the craft branches probably have a little bit more. There was a lot of weird, like, not weird. Well, I think weird because I didn't like the movie. But, like, there were a lot of... I understand anybody's response to that movie because, like, I kind of have waffled on it, too. And, like, sometimes when I think about it, I'm like, well, maybe I liked that movie more than I thought I did. But, like, I... It is a little boring. It was weird to me that there were people being like, Bradley Cooper should be a Best Actor nominee. And I'm really not in that camp. I understand that. Like, I, get the Bradley Cooper ballot, should, I get the Bradley Cooper should... I get the Bradley Cooper should be a nominee for Licorice Pizza uh, camp, even though I'm not necessarily in that either, just because I think it's such a small role. But um, I don't get the... I don't get... I don't... I think it's... I don't think he's very good in Nightmare Alley. I think he's actually one of the movie's big weaknesses and besides the boring stuff but um yeah i don't know was not my thing all right well then how about this next category the unfinished life prize for most forgettable yeah the movie that maybe our listeners have already forgotten had some oscar talk around it yeah what is your pick for this uh, again, I feel like I'm just giving an answer that I kind of already supported in that Netflix just, you know, has their priorities and they will dump movies. But minus the Starling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Theodore Melfi movie that was in September with uh, a grieving Melissa McCarthy. I mean, it's a horrible movie. So it's like it's it's good that they dropped it. And but like, I don't know anybody that really watched it. The buzz on that movie almost feels like a phantom, though, because even when we were looking at the outset at Toronto, people looked at that and were just like, oh, what's the thing that it reminds me of? Well, two things. It's in subject matter. It sounds like it's Penguin Bloom. And in the fact that it's Melissa McCarthy and Theodore Melfi again, it makes you think of St. Vincent. And both of those movies were uh, not well liked and didn't get any Oscar nominations. So right. I feel like you looked at Starling and were just like, well, this is going to fizzle. And it fizzled. And so it all sort of, it behaved exactly the way we all kind of expected that it would. But in terms of the category, yeah, it's definitely forgettable. It definitely People forgettable. do not remember that movie that yeah. premiered four months ago. Yeah. My choice what for this is something that I think at, at one point did have a even more than I would say a glimmer of buzz. And by this point now, I think it's been totally forgotten, which is Stillwater. I think there was a moment there after it screened and some critics uh, actually really liked it. There was sort of a spike of, you know, this movie is actually pretty good, not from everybody, but from enough people in the right corners that it was like, oh, they might be able to make something of this and they might be able to make a a Matt Damon campaign out of it or something. And Mm -hmm. once the fall festivals happened because that was a summer movie, right? Stillwater. Yes. And then, so then once the premiered at can out of competition, once the fall festivals happened and sort of flooded the market with, you know, uh, other, other things that were more solid contenders, Stillwater was fully just dropped from everybody's radar and never, never returned. And at this point, it feels like it could have been two years ago that that movie happened. Exactly. I, if I remember correctly, like the movie did, fine for focus financially in the summer and i think it's partly because with marketing they could kind of do you know a certain type of conservative viewer into that movie that he sure was wearing a uh, a dusty brown uh, baseball cap in that in that movie poster (laughs) do you remember did you see that thing where like somebody put like those four movie posters up against each other and it was all just like um Oh, it was like Matt Damon and then that one Eric Bana movie and it was like four people and it was all just like dusty baseball cap or like camo, yeah. you know, 
uh, opposite bandana Joe Bell, or whatever. One of the worst yeah. movies I've ever seen at a festival. Yeah. Um, granted, the festival cut of that movie is apparently different than the theatrical, but I am 1,000% never watching that. Yeah, um, I'm glad I don't have to watch that. Stillwater, I was so scratching my head, especially of like the people that I respected that thought that that movie was good. I feel like it's kind of... Rather than being like a Rorschach of like, well, what do you see in this scenario? I feel like it kind of actively avoids and like kind of stupidly, you know, muddles the, I guess, political or like cult of personality uh, factors of that movie. And I kind of actively despised it uh-huh. and thought it was a mess. Okay. Uh, come back to us, Tom McCarthy. I this mean, is his I do love <laughs> sequel <laughs> i i still am a little bit interested in seeing the movie and just sort of deciding for myself because the responses have been so varied and and it feels like i could fall you know kind of anywhere on the spectrum and i do feel like tom mccarthy i owe tom mccarthy to watch this movie and though i also have never watched the cobbler but um uh I, there are some like actively infuriating twists in that movie and i think it just completely strains credibility in a way on a character level, not just of Matt Damon's characters, but the characters that surround him. And like, it, it, it's, it's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I'm glad if it is a forgettable movie, let people forget that movie. That's your curse. You've placed a curse on Stillwater. Let people forget I will hex you. that movie. Yeah. All right. All right. To at least close our categories, we can keep talking about uh, other uh, movies or, you know, stuff if we want. But to at least place things in categories, uh, the Welcome to Marwin Prize for Most Anticipated Episode. I believe in our first... Did we say that that was our our most anticipated episode the first time we did a class of episode? Maybe. I know that's the first one we did for the year we would have done. It, it probably before, is but. because like we were certainly very very excited to talk about Welcome to Marwen because uh yeah. Um and I do feel like we always decide what the first movie of that year will be in that episode yeah. uh, for an episode in the class of episode. All right, I'm ready to hash that out because I feel like we're kind of spoiled for choice uh, in this category, I think. <laughs> but I also feel like maybe that's different than the one that we personally would most uh, uh anticipate. Basically, I'm just priming that the first episode we should do from 2021 is not the one I'll be most excited for. Is right. what I'm trying to say. We we decided ahead of time that Cats would be our first 2019 movie. We have, I believe we're in agreement that um, uh, Wild Mountain Time will be our first 2020 movie when we break the seal on that. Uh, for 2021, I talk, I've talked about how... I'm excited to do a Last Duel episode. I think that will be a really interesting one. I was so surprised by how much I liked that movie that it will be a fun one to talk about. There's also a lot of interesting angles to that in terms of the people. I feel like we haven't had a ton of opportunity to talk about Adam Driver on this podcast, and I would like to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. Annette will also be a fun opportunity for us to do that when we eventually do an Annette episode. Um, I also think... Titan will be a wild ass time and it's I'm I'm excited that because after even after can I was like how realistically are we taking the awards buzz for this movie and then they really really put their their whole ass into uh, 
pushing for that one as an awards contender and screening in theaters. I feel like Neon actually pushed that movie as hard as they pushed Spencer. Yeah. And and that, you know, France selected it as its international film uh, standard bearer. And so that's going to be a wild-ass time. But I think my choice for this category is much more on a schadenfreude. and, And it's, I think we're going to... And I may have to drag you through this kicking and screaming, but I think a Dear Evan Hansen episode will be uh, a wild time. This is the conversation point I was trying to walk around. (laughs) I really think that it... I mean, it's unavoidable, and it's the right answer. It's the the right... Yeah. Not right thing to do, but under the parameters of our podcast, it is the correct first episode for 2021 i think there's no other answer to it yeah than that but is it the one that i'm most looking forward to absolutely not sure because sure. like i don't think i'm gonna watch all the nominees this year i think i'm giving myself a break i really don't want to fucking watch free guy um i'm gonna and, like, i have had it's it gotten that song I'm nomination i could have never seen dear evan hansen and been so happy <laughs> but like now i'm gonna have to watch dear evan hansen great wonderful um, it's so funny that you don't like I get it from both sides if it is a nominee I have to see it for work and if it's not a nominee I have to see it for podcasts so I really <laughs> there's no getting around some of these movies for me yeah yeah I'm I, I think I need to give myself a little break from mediocrity um <laughs> maybe I'll take one myself and I'll stop being we'll mediocre. sandwich it between two episodes on movies that we really love and we'll it'll be the spoonful of sugar that helps the the medicine of Dear Evan Hansen go down for you. Listen, I have been finally catching up to like other, you know, global uh, seasons of Drag Race. And while as much as Cheryl Hole is not the queen for me, I do find her. I'm ready for another week of me being mediocre. Oh my god! Uh, very. Get relatable. her off. Get her off my television. Just uh, I, I, no. Okay. Patience. I don't. I don't like shitting on queens too much, but I'm so mad that she's the one that got to meet Adele. I know. I know. If they would have just cast Davina on the season instead and let her meet Adele, we could all be a lot happier. So, anyway. Um, So, what's your choice? What's the one you're actually most looking forward to doing? Well, you said mine, so I feel like I have to pick. Was Tatum? It was going to be Tatum. Yeah. Because that feels like mother potential of like an episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It's a wild. It's a it's a crazy, crazy. Uh, there's a lot movie. of talking points. I mean, there's can. There's the can ceremony where Spike accidentally announced the title, like right at the uh, the <laughs> the win, right at the top of the ceremony. It actually did have like an awards run outside of yeah, you know, international feature. And like for a minute, I was when it didn't make the Bake Off list for international feature. I was like, yeah, but there's some. St- there's still some potential sure. and I feel like that actually died quickly. Um, and I, I the mean, critical reception for that movie ended up being a lot more varied than I thought. There were a lot of people who really, really do not care for that movie, which I think is interesting. One then that I will throw out, even though that is my answer. Yeah. I feel like people have forgotten this. I could have thrown it in forgotten, but like, I will never forget this movie. So it's not most forgotten. What's that? Um, I mean, this is very early in the year. Again, another movie that debuted at the, the pre-pandemic Sundance. Uh-huh. 
I would love to do a Dream Horse episode. I knew I knew you were leading up to Dream Horse. <laughs> we have to do Dream Horse. Dream Horse was my first movie back in a theater after the pandemic. We have to do Dream Horse. Dream Horse, a movie about a horse named Dream. Oh man. So really the title should be Dream, comma horse. <laughs> dream a horse movie. Yeah. Uh Dream Colon Horse. A movie that absolutely Absolutely, the poster says Tony Collette is in love with this horse. One hundred percent. Tony Collette will have sex with this horse. Yeah, um, it promises that it does. And it's just a nice movie. I'm sure it'll be an episode where it's like we don't really have much to talk about. But yeah, we haven't really have we done a Tony Collette movie aside from Evening? Way way back. Oh, uh, and the end Evening, and I'm not sure if there's any others. Oh, in her shoes, duh. Oh, duh. Of course. Yeah. Where we're like Tony Collette amazing yes um yeah i'd love to do a dream horse episode yeah i thought genuinely going into this uh category i thought you were gonna say zola because i know you are riding high for zola i'm not riding as high on as some people are there are elements of the movie that i am like 1000 percent in the bag i think taylor page gives one of the performances of the year or i guess last year because again another pre-pandemic sundance movie right I think it's more of like a directing achievement than it is a writing achievement. Yeah. But like the performances in that movie are top notch and like Michael Levy's score is incredible. Yeah. The, I think Ari Wigner's uh, job as a cinematographer is as strong, if not stronger, than Power of the Dog. Not stronger, as strong. I really loved. I was very, very high on Coleman Domingo this season, and mm-hmm. I really would have liked it if he would have been a presence in the My supporting winner. actor conversation. He's so good. I mean, Riley Keough is fantastic in a – we talk about, like, daring performances, and I do feel like that is a movie that risks a lot for her in terms of going where that character needed to go in a way that risks – her really coming across as an asshole, as an actor, like as an actor going to places that you shouldn't be going. And I don't think that's untrue, but as somebody who has really gone to bat and loved Riley Keough for giving more than what's on the page, I ultimately think, while I'm not saying she's bad, I ultimately think she shows up and does the assignment that's on the page. I think that's true, but I think showing up and doing the assignment that's on the page is that's one of the more challenging assignments on the page. That 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 might be fair, but like there's moments where it seems like she's going to give more than she's expected to and doesn't quite. And sure, again, sure. I'm not shitting on that performance in any way. Yeah. Um I just as someone who loves Riley Keough, I was maybe expecting a little more. Sure. Uh, now that we're sort of past the categories, though, I want to go sort of into a grab bag of there's some of these movies we've talked about in our various festival episodes. So we might not talk so much about something like there's titles that some that I would have expected you to already bring up. Well, I think the one movie besides the uh, lamenting that we couldn't do House of Gucci, the one movie that came up the most from our Twitter followers on nomination day was In the Heights. And I am super excited to talk about In the Heights. I loved that movie. I know you and I disagree on how good that movie is, which... I love elements of that movie. I'm not, I just don't think it's well made. Yeah, I'm not psyched to have that argument with you because I am going to take it personally. Um, but <laughs> it was so tied up in my like joy at returning to movie theaters in that brief window right. of time where it really felt like that... You know, the arc of the pandemic was uh, was 
a straight line and not this weird curly cue of disaster that we're having with variants and setbacks and whatnot. It really felt like I wanted a we're back moment and that felt like a we're back moment. And then, I mean, we'll go into it when we actually do this episode, but like the absolute crushing disappointment of that movie's box office crater and also the controversies that that greeted that movie's theatrical release were so like legitimately psychologically dispiriting to me where I like, I was, I was bummed and I really, it's going to take me a while to want to actually talk about that movie at length because well, I'm so my bummed about, about it. that movie. And like, I understand why a lot of people bring it up and a lot of people would want that episode. My feeling about that movie is like, it's one of the 2021 ones that feel like a 2021 and that like, we don't want to talk about the pandemic. Like, we're a lighthearted podcast. We don't want to just, like... And I ultimately think, like, that's a movie that was so hashed out that, like, I don't know how interesting of an episode we could provide on it. But I also feel like I owe that movie... I owe that movie my joy. And to not be, like, super corny about it. But, like, I do. Like, that movie did did something... This is why you'll be mad at me when I talk about... 100%. Yes. uh, Aesthetics and such. Yes. Um... And that that's fine. You can be mad at me. Um, Count on it. <laughs> the thing about that you mentioned the like box office failure of it is like the, this is this is ultimately why I think uh, not ultimately, but like one of the things that like I feel like it's talking about during a, a like heavy pandemic movie, like where it's like theaters aren't even really open. It's almost like that because the thing about that movie's box office run is like everybody was immediately like boom failure and ultimately it made a good amount more money than some of the movies that would be what was its in the fall. what was its final domestic uh, i i don't remember but Hold like on. some people were bandying this about earlier in the season where it's like everybody was so quick quick to cast off in the heights purely on its box office okay. run and it did better than other movies comparable i just in my google search started to, to type in the Heights box office mojo, because it is a difficult thing to navigate. But like, if you just go to a movie's page, it will give you the number that you're looking for. Um, but I started to type in the Heights box office. And then the suggested text was in the Heights box office bomb. And then in the Heights box office mojo. So like, that's the bummer that I'm talking about. Like that is, that's exactly. um, There was also data though, at the time that it wasn't, actually performing well on hbo max to right that kind of well and i think it. I, it kind of annoyed me that that information came out quickly and it really felt like warner and hbo max were sending that information out to be like don't blame us this movie shit the bed on on max as well and really kind of threw the movie under the bus in order to uh to uh, do damage control for the notion that HBO Max was harming box office numbers for Warner's movies. Right. And that, right. that pissed me well, off. Well, and of course they don't give hard data, you know. No, of course not. No, it's with all... With it. So yeah. it's like they can craft whatever narrative they want. My my feeling about that movie ultimately is that it... For people who knew what it was, it was marketed in a way that made us excited. But for people who didn't know what it was, like, that marketing is bad for that movie like it doesn't tell you what the movie is about it's like i've said this before where it's like the trailer of that movie tells you that the star of the movie is the musical hamilton yeah i think that was probably a mistake yeah that's that it 
in a movie that's supposed to be launching stars, right? Like it should be getting us excited about the people that are actually in the movie. I think on like, some level, on it was on some level, it was unavoidable that In the Heights was going to require a leap of faith from an audience to watch a movie that was not based on any pre-existing anything, and that with actors in it who were not people that they knew, and ultimately. That was going to be tough. And you know what? Like, on some level, and it's hard to say in a pandemic because people have different levels of comfort, but that was at a moment where I think people were more optimistic about going into theaters than at any point in 2021. Uh, I expect more from the general movie-going audience to be able to take that leap of faith with a movie, especially one that I get what you're saying about that they were, you know, that the advertising maybe overemphasized something like Hamilton, but the advertising was also promising big, bright, exuberant colors and songs, and just, like, that should be fucking enough. That should be enough. I I know, but that's not what, like, general audiences, like, respond to when they see a trailer. It's like they need... They need plot. They need to know what you're selling them. And like they, you know, exuberant uh, tone is not usually enough unless it's like a weird movie. Yeah. But the plot of that movie is also like a day in the life of people in a neighborhood and like stuff happens. It's like it's not a super plotty movie. I guess you could focused on the lottery ticket, but the movie kind of even de-emphasizes the lottery ticket versus what the stage show did. I mean, I think it was a mistake to expect that movie to ever be a big opening weekend movie. And that was the type of movie that was like designed to have long legs in theaters. And like, yeah, I mean, whatever, when we do it, eventually it was, cover this, movie, was a, we'll talk it, about there was all a lot of, of domino effects and like a, a, a yeah. lot of the controversy around that movie. I think people were justified in having it, but like, it was just like kind of one thing after the other. Yeah. With that movie. Anyway, domestic Warner brothers did absolutely zero to yeah. promote it in award season. Domestic. It did a skosh under $30 million. Worldwide, uh, worldwide grosses were almost forty-four. So it was it was pretty I mean, small. Belfast wants to have that kind of number. Sure, sure, but like Belfast would have that kind of number in a normal year. Yeah, but. yeah. Anyway, um, so moving along to yes, more movies. Yes. So, um, we've talked about passing and Petite Maman in other uh, festival movies in mass, so we don't want to really linger on that. Where do you come down on Mike Mills' Come On, Come On, and whether you expected that movie to show up more in the nominations? Particularly, I'm surprised that Joaquin Phoenix's performance did not get more of a more momentum in a year where Best Actor felt squishy and soft, and we usually see actors who win Oscars get those Halo nominations not long thereafter i mean i do think he's very good in the movie i'm not surprised that a movie like this didn't really catch on with awards voters as far as my feelings about the movie itself is like for a movie that i basically wept through the entirety of i i came out of that movie being like "I, i i sobbed the whole time don't know if i loved it but like, I understand people who love or hate that movie. I don't really have much to say about it. Um, 
I feel like I'm the opposite side of the coin from you, which is I walked out of that movie being like, I liked everything that I saw in that movie, and it did not make me emotional, which is weird for a movie about, again, how much an uncle loves his nephew in a year where... Which we are suckers for. Like, well, in a year where, like, half of my life, uh, like, 90% of the happy things that happened in my life were like, I love my nephew so much. You know what I mean? It's just like, it should have, I should have been the easiest mark for getting emotional in that movie and and again it's not like i fault the movie for you know not more you know aggressively punching me in my heartstrings but i was sort of a little puzzled as i was walking out of this just like what was the little missing ingredient in that movie that that it's 20th century women definitely have century women it's just a little too easy to compare it to it and like yeah. that movie i think in all of its emotional moments the type of things that like make us well up while we're watching it actually does like achieve and seeks out some type of deeper meaning in those things yeah like uh, a level of um for lack of a better word personalness yeah it certainly like registers on a personal level for these characters yeah for us in the audience that i just don't think this movie quite reaches for and doesn't achieve but at the same time it's not bad it doesn't it certainly doesn't annoy me at all like beginners annoys me so i don't want to like i was sort of being like well maybe i just don't connect with mike mills as much beyond 20th century women which i connect so much with but it's like no like it's not the same thing where like beginners really just irks me as a movie and come on come on doesn't at all like i really like i'm looking forward to watching that movie again i really enjoyed the experience of watching that movie but there was just something that didn't quite jump from a you know seven and a half to an eight and a half for me if that makes sense makes complete sense yeah all right uh we talked about zola a second a lot of people were riding for the green knight to get some tech nominations some craft nominations which certainly would have been we had some people in our mentions being like the green knight wasn't really an oscar movie but it was on i think at least the score bake-off list so like yes it's more of a contender than you than some people might think yes i agree i think it was one of those movies that a year ahead of time people weren't quite sure what to make of it because it seemed like it had the makings of a sort of big blockbustery movie sort of epic kind of scale but then it was like but it's david lowry david lowry makes right. you know even pete's dragon felt very sort of like small and personal for a movie that was about i will say a dragon. I think when david lowry finally hits with the academy he's gonna hit in a big way oh absolutely well this is the other thing i said about uh green knight which is just like it's it's so very immediately ropes you into his the world of that movie and that's like that is to me what a across the board craft sweeping kind of a movie should do right and right. so like i mean production design of that movie was astounding costumes visual effects uh, you know cinematography everything was makeup especially i was i joked to you and katie when i was making my like uh, you know lists of superlatives or whatever and i was just like how much can i credit how cool sarita Chaudhary looks with a blindfold on for you know what can i nominate that for because like it's just there's so many striking 
visuals from that movie. And it's a Joe, I am so happy to be living in the year of Sarita Chan. <laughs> I like we can argue about like we want more for her than what she's actually given in the projects that she's in, but like everybody getting on board with Sarita Chowdhury is the business. I think there is a I'm script so out there that is waiting for her to give her her like spotlight movie. And I think it's coming. I hope so. I feel like there's I just like somewhere We're about to have the Mississippi Masala re-release and the Criterion coming out. Like I'm excited. I think she's probably the fan favorite of the new and just like that characters. Yeah, for as much as and just like that is very much the it's none of my business TV show of this year. I do the closest I've come to wanting to watch that season is hearing about her role in the show and i was just like oh i would like to watch her i would like to see it's what she's just up to. enough to be like frustrating yeah that like you do actually want more for her than she's given yeah and like that's true of all of the new characters but like yeah she's just so good and like in some ways they're giving her like the samantha fun stand-in stuff in a way that it feels like the show is mostly trying to avoid that but like right it just feels so good to be in her presence <laughs> i mean it's i do I think you should it. catch up to the show though i get it was the conversation around it it's one of those shows where i'm like the conversation around it is inescapable and everybody talks about it like they hate it but they are also obsessed with it and it just like it vexes me and i'm just like do you like the show like what's going on and i guess problems are its problems but i will say it's been one of the more comforting watches interesting because i even from the people it's candy it is it is purely candy so like i think it's that's what makes it easy for people to be like it's bad it it its problems are glaring problems yeah but like the things that are good about it i think are a little underrated right now all right because even the stuff that was That's like Tommy saying it's a great show, complimentary but I'm to it, it's a watchable, enjoyable show. Even the stuff I was seeing that was complimentary to it is there was just like you don't understand. It's supposed to be horribly depressing, and I was just like, well, I don't wouldn't want to watch that. And like, that, who I don't agree with that. Yeah, like it, it narratively, it's doing what it's doing. I think what it does with Miranda is maddening, but. <laughs> I did see one take, and again, this is coming from somebody who did not watch the season. I did see one take because, like, you couldn't uh, escape the Che Diaz discourse that has dominated culture in the last two months. Um, being essentially just like Che Diaz is the big of this new uh, version of the show, which is that the love interest that we can say, oh, you know, they're no good for Miranda. And I can 9,000% get behind this, but I wish that that was the show's intention. So you think that's accidental to what the show is actually Oh, it's accidental entirely. If it was, I mean, like, even if Michael Patrick King gave a quote saying, we were trying to come up with a new big, but for Miranda, I would not believe that. (laughs) That's interesting. All right. I mean, I do think that's a good idea, but I don't think that's intentional. (laughs) All right, we talked about French Dispatch and Annette. Um, oh, a hero not getting nominated in international film is 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 surprising I wasn't to me. Surprised. You were not surprised. I wasn't. Why? Because a lot of people talked about it like until like Drive My Car became a moment. You know. Yeah. 
people talked about it like it was the front runner, and I was like, I just don't think that they're going to give it to him a third time in the same category, especially for this one. Like, I know people who have stronger feelings about that movie than I do. Yeah. I just, I don't see a direct, uh, a, a director being awarded an international feature for a third time, unless it's, unless there's momentum and heat around it in like director and screenplay. Sure. And, like, some people were surprised that Farhadi wasn't nominated there either, but like, it just doesn't play like, this is getting him a third Oscar. Yeah. All right. When the other two have been, in my opinion, stronger movies. Uh, there are a few sort of smaller movies that I don't know if we ever necessarily, but you know, by the time nominations were being voted on, expected to, to happen, but sort of long lead stuff that felt buzzy, something like uh, the Sundance hit nine days from 2020, which I eventually saw because it was got like, really great buzz out of Sundance and it got like an indie spirit uh, nomination. Last year. I expected you to like that movie. I did too. And I didn't, I thought it was so boring. I really was just bored to tears by it. And I was bummed that I was bored to tears by it. It moved so slowly to me. It was just like, it's just glacial and, and did not engage me at all. Really. Mm. Unfortunately. Fortunately. You liked it though. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to strongly enough to like put it on, you know, my top list, but yeah, I liked it. I am now kind of interested to see the Udo Kier swan song sort of reading more about it. I was writing a little bit about the independent spirit nominations and, um, I think that's a great movie. If it has any interest whatsoever in, uh, developing or, you know, yeah, really digging into any of the ideas it proposes. I nearly watched that one on an airplane when I was flying to Palm Springs a few months ago, and now I kind of regret that I didn't. Um, I was so frustrated by that movie because, yeah. like, it brings up interesting things, like you know, what happens to elder gay people who don't have yeah. uh, people to take care of them? What is community? What is queer community like in these small towns that are dying? And it really does absolutely nothing with them. I think it's a very surfacey movie to the point where it's like the Robin needle drop that happens in that movie is exactly the one that you expected. <laughs> um, did you, were you sort of uh, resentful of the small town Ohio-ness of it? No, because I think there's an interesting movie there, but yeah. I just think this is a movie that is too facile to yeah. uh, be interested in that. Did you like it's it's purely uh, window dressing. It's not like uh, I don't know how else to describe it, but like saying the thing is not really talking about the thing. Sure, sure, sure. I got gotcha. you. You know, I'm excited to see it. Maybe we can uh, and have a conversation about it. Did you see the other swan song, the Mahershala Ali swan song? What do you think I about did. that? I one? think it's a it's a good movie. I see why you know it didn't really go anywhere. Partly because like Apple yeah. is. They had other priorities. Purely fictional in some people's mind as a streaming service. Yeah. And and which sucks because Apple has great things on it. Like Dickinson is great. Yeah. um, Yeah. Apple, I think, I think Apple's trending upwards. I think the best picture nomination nomination for Coda does really good things for it. I think in a few years, if Apple is sort of a, an oddly powerful 
Oscar player, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Because they'll they'll at least be positioned to be like the cool streamer at some yeah. point. But like, I think as far as films are concerned, right now they have a lot of like stuff that it feels like nobody saw yeah. and is probably of questionable taste. Um, like that Justin Timberlake movie. What the fuck? Oh yeah, yes. Well, there's yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that too. It's just like, what is this? What's you know what is this supposed to be i think that a lot of their they they're they're commissioning a lot of stuff there's a lot of tv shows on there that like they have a lot of exist. money to spend yes yeah exactly well and a lot of it is cultivating professional relationships where they want to be you know in with jj abrams and they want to be in with spielberg and they want to be in with hanks and and all this sort of stuff and i mean they are going to have a big year they have the scorsese movie yeah um, yeah, I, that's why I feel like I think I think in you know in five years we'll be talking about Apple and and Oscars a lot differently, which we'll look to this year as probably the kickoff to that. So yeah. the Apple Swan song though, like felt so very. It kind of bummed me out that I was like, well, this is just going to be on Apple and nobody's going to watch it yeah. because like it felt like that palate cleanser post Oscars April movie. Yeah. Where, like, you go and you're like, this is fine, and that's all I needed it to be, but, like, yeah. it feels like I'm watching an adult movie yeah. of low stakes, and that's great. I will say, <laughs> if you're, in terms of Apple, and it's not a movie, but if you're looking for something on Apple, if you subscribe to Apple and are looking for things to stream on it, uh, the after party is so good and so funny and uh, and very creative, and I like that show very much. So that's my recommendation. Um, moving down our list, are you surprised at all that Oscar Isaac's performance in the card counter did not even get far as far down the road as like Ethan Hawke's in First Reformed did when we talk about like Paul Schrader movies? Obviously, based I, on the fact, yeah, based ahead. on the performance alone, if like you watched things in a vacuum right. and knew nothing about the awards race or you right. were in a time capsule yes. or something, yes. nine million percent. Um, but as far as the campaign is concerned, not at all, right. because Focus didn't do anything for that movie. But I think that's what I'm more asking about in, in a vacuum. Are you surprised that they didn't do more with it? Because, uh, because uh, No, because I've read Paul Schrader's Facebook posts. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that was true of Paul Schrader with First Reformed, too. And like they pushed that one all the way to a screenplay nomination. He's gone a little crazy even further. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, it, to the point where he was like... I think his first, he stopped doing Facebook posts while the movie was like actively being promoted. And then his first post back, he was like, yeah, they're letting me use Facebook again. So, right, right. Let me say some stuff. And like, I think uh, Oscar Isaac's I love that movie. quite good in that, I movie, love that though. movie. I think I like his performance probably a little bit better than I like the movie, but um, he's really good in it. Yeah, I I make I completely agree. All right. Uh, uh, wait, what is bruised? You have bruised on this list, and I genuinely forget. It's the Holly Berry <gasps> MMA. Yes, movie. the Holly Berry MMA movie. Wow. Okay, so that should have been my choice for have already forgotten it because I have already uh, forgotten that that was a thing, and it was like a week ago. <laughs> well, it was Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's not a good movie. Um, yeah. It 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 was also on the Bake Off list for song. So it's it was right. beyond you know Holly Berry, sure. but again it was a movie, and Netflix paid like a shit ton for this movie yes. at when it premiered at TIFF two TIFFs ago. Yeah. And it was apparently work in progress, but they weren't really telling you it was work in progress. Um, 
and they they did nothing with it. <laughs> Even though it was like later in the year, and it was, yeah. and like you watch the movie, and it's like it has the prestige of it. Probably part of it was you know ag- uh, buying it was agreeing to a certain level of like Oscar campaign, and like Holly Berry deserves that because she is uh, an Oscar winning actress. Um, she got. It some... just feels like it feels more like just a mainstream movie than an awards movie. She got some weird nomination for it, right? Uh, Hold on, let me look. Uh, oh, maybe I'm just thinking for the Emphrygies. She was nominated for uh, Best Actress at the movie. I mean, Nomad that's Ford. not not a weird nomination. It is a weird nomination for that, but that is what I was thinking. I was like, she she showed up on a lineup somewhere, and that was the lineup that she showed up on was the movies for Grownups Awards. Um, she's not bad in the movie. Um, yeah, I believe it. And there's like signs that it's like she could be very much a. Um, mainstream director it's just like i don't know why she latched onto this yeah movie it's it's a really like very cliche script all right i want to take the l on the many scenes of newark uh when we (laughs) when i was tasked by vulture to do the uh alternate universe as i do my various alternate universe articles for them uh the imagining how the year 2020 at the oscars would have gone if there were not a pandemic and uh it was you know well ahead of even the 2020 oscar season so i had no idea really what was coming down the pike i made some good calls in that that i will stand by i did in my fictional universe there uh, will smith won best actor for king richard i think i am uh, justified in you know uh, accepting my praise for that because I feel like that was a good call on my part. I also said Daniel Kaluuya would win Best Supporting Actor for Judas and the Black Messiah, and that was also uh, decently ahead of last year's Oscar campaign. So I'll take that. Uh, I said that Ana de Armas would win for Blonde, which much like it still happened, much like your uh, your Merrill bet up until the fact that it didn't happen. Like you know, <laughs> it could still happen. She's it's gonna it's what it's playing can outside of competition. It was just announced, right? That's what Andrew Dominic. It's not confirmed. Oh, okay, Andrew Dominic apparently gave a semi off the cuff interview with Screen International, or what really reads like his semi off the cuff. Uh huh. Um, saying that that is. It doesn't sound. I, I forgetting the exact quote for it. Yeah, Netflix apparently is very averse to doing that, and Netflix doesn't want to go to Cannes if they can't be in competition. Yeah, but like because of the French regulations, like that's what it would have to be. And like yeah. I could, I could totally understand Andrew Dominic being like, "Who cares? Let's just go." Sure, but like it also apparently was turned down by venice or there's some weird situation going on the buzz on that movie is really weird yeah i am very excited for it i am too (laughs) but the buzz on that movie is really weird um but then also my my stab at supporting actress i had said uh, vera farmiga will win best supporting actress for the many seats of newark in my defense twofold (laughs) one you'd never seen a picture of her in that nose (laughs) i well i hadn't but i don't know if that would have deterred me um in my defense, Livia Soprano, Tony Soprano's mother, was a fascinating role on The Sopranos, and there was every reason for me to believe that uh, Vera Farmiga would have a lot to play in that movie. And 
uh, how was I to know that the movie would absolutely just drop the ball when it came to her character? And, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I, See, I will take the L on it, but I will, I will I, say I had some I reasons. was almost going to say that it was a most forgettable because I do think people fully forget that that movie happened at this point. Yes. But I didn't want you to accuse me of gaslighting you <laughs> because I know from your specific experience and your specific shame around this movie, you will never forget that it happened. I will say John Magaro as <gasps> Silvio is... It's, you know how I feel about John Magaro. I love John Magaro. It's 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 giving me what I liked about Jared Leto in House of Gucci is what I liked about John Magaro in Many Saints of Newark. Like it's it's a it's a just a funhouse mirror of a performance. And I was like, it, it, this is the thing. If I liked the Many Saints of Newark better, I would have liked Magaro's performance worse because I would have thought. Are it's, you telling me to watch his scenes, but on mute? Kind of. He he decides that like. That uh, Stephen Van Zant had a signature walk, which I wouldn't have thought was true after I going into the movie, and then walking out of the movie, I was like, I guess he kind of did, and it's just so over the top, and it's and it's deeply funny, and again, I didn't love the movie, so I was glad that I had something to latch onto in that way. Um, a lot of people did not feel the same way that I did, that thought he was uh, being absolutely ridiculous. I was glad to have something to have that much fun with. But uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, John Magaro, very attractive man. Yeah. Um, how seriously did you ever take the Benedict Cumberbatch in Electrical Life of Louis Wayne buzz, particularly since we already knew Power of the Dog was there by the time anybody saw Electrical Life of Louis Wayne? Well... Beyond the, that movie's festival run, Amazon did exactly zero with it. Yeah. If that if that movie had been distributed by Focus and like handled by like a Focus, that would be a production design nominee. It would be a costume design nominee. I don't think it's a very good movie, but yeah, I thought it was kind of a mess. But like. As soon as, I mean, like, by the time it actually premiered on Amazon, I was like, well, this is, this is yeah. not yeah. a thing because they're not trying to make it a thing. Uh, I thought the same about Encounter, the Riz Ahmed, uh, Paranoia, maybe yeah. Aliens. Movie. We've talked that about these movies worse. when we did our TIFF episode, but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing, I know neither one of us liked uh, Last Night in Soho very much. I know you. Terrible you, movie. Uh, I think you hated it even more than I did, I am surprised that its costumes were never in play because I agree. often you see in craft categories, especially in things like costume and makeup, when the costumes or the makeup are so much part of the narrative in film, like Eyes of Tammy Faye is a big example, right? The makeup... Tammy Faye Baker's makeup in that movie is a plot point in that movie. And so it really sort of shines a light on that particular craft aspect and I think enhances the case for that nomination. And I think Last Night in Soho, I really would have expected that that would have been the same for the costumes because so much of it, I mean, Cruella does the same thing, right? So much of Cruella uh, is about, you know, the costumes. And I think Last Night in Soho is doing something similar. And I'm kind of surprised. I think if that movie is 
better received at all that right. it has a better right. chance. Well, that's such a weirdly positioned movie because it was like that was the first movie that Edgar Wright was doing these big festivals for right. and it's like it's so clearly based on the position he is post baby driver yeah. winning an Oscar did it win like editing and sound and Oh, I don't think it won editing, but let me look and see if it won sound. Um but m- at least multiple Oscar nominations and yeah. it's just like it's a bad movie. And nobody really liked it. Um, but like, and I'm of two minds about those costumes because everything you said is true, but it also is a movie that as a plot point is like fully just not well in terms of how the costumes are a plot point because it's like Thomas and Mackenzie goes to fashion school and is treated like she's some type of misunderstood prodigy because she makes a basic pink like yeah what even do you call that style because when the teacher was like you have so much promise i'm like i could buy that dress at target right now well this is the thing that i think cruella succeeds in which is if you're going to have in your movie this idea that this character of yours is a fashion genius you at least need to give me something that is so over the top that even if i don't like it i have to look at that and be like well, I could see that at the very least, it's a lot. You know what I mean? At the very least, yeah. it's it's over the top and it's it's giving me plausible deniability. Whereas I think you're right. I think in, in Soho and I think in so many of these movies who are just like we're supposed to find something to be on a genius level and you can't make it so easy for basic. us to be like that's basic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right. Just a couple more movies on our list. We talked about jockey when we did our uh tiff episode um that was a movie that was it was sundance 2021 first right it was sundance and then right right i'm not surprised that it ultimately wasn't no same not not that it wasn't seen by people but also that sony classics didn't do anything for it because like People probably didn't even notice that it got released at the time. And it's like, it was saved for the end of the year. And I think they might have originally intended to do the last minute push for Clifton Collins Jr., who's like had this incredible career that I do think when it happens for him, it will happen for him because we've talked about this before. He's one of those people that's worked with everybody. Well, and he was on people's sort of long lists for best actor contenders for a while going into that, going into the season. Mm -hmm. And. I that kind of surprised me. And if me. they'd done more, he could have been that fifth place person that a lot of people were expecting a s- potential surprise to happen. Yeah. But they didn't really do anything for it because their priorities shifted and they moved to Parallel Mothers and yeah. and good for them. Like they made the for right those call. two nominations. Yeah. I'm so happy. Uh he got a Independent Spirit Award nomination for best actor, which was uh, Good and unsurprising. Good for him. I was I was a little bummed that if that was going to happen, that uh, Moises Arias did not get a Best Supporting Actor nomination at the Spirits because uh, I thought he was really good in that movie. Maybe even uh, he was the sort of thing that I walked away from that movie being like, oh, wow, he's, he's really good. I want to see what he does next after this. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about The Tender Bar. I still have yet to see it. And you have no reason to see that. Um, that bad movie. So last thing then we talked, I mean, when we, when I was talking about the humans talking about movies that deserve 
attention in craft categories that aren't going to get it because they're not the big sort of four quadrant, you know, uh, hits. Memoria also deserved a sound nomination. And that's another one where, like, in movie, it's about the sound in that movie. So you could see a universe where if this was a more mainstream movie, uh, it might have actually stood a chance in sound. But it was never going to happen, being the movie that it is. I love that movie. I can't wait to see it in a theater whenever that happens in 2027. Yeah, seeing it, um, I was so, I wanted to see it, so I didn't want to have to wait to see it. So I watched it on a screener. And I same. do now wish I had watched it in a theater because I do feel like I lost something. It was... I mean, when you have the opportunity to see it in a theater again, it's going to probably be years in the future. Right, so right. that's the thing. So I wanted to like grab onto it. While I uh, while I had the chance, I think the disappointing thing about that theatrical release, which pissed a lot of people off, and people were calling it elitist and, uh, and such, yeah. I I took the opposite approach, and I felt like it was a way to keep that movie special. But it doesn't actually seem like they are. First of all, it's like it's this guessing game for people to be like, "Where is it playing?" Because what they've devoted to is we're doing one theatrical run in a city per week and that's where the movie is available and it's like it makes it feel like this kind of special weird artifact thing that's only happening to you which it's like when you watch the movie it's like that's that's a brilliant way to kind of release this movie however it's being done with like zero fanfare right well that played chicago and people like didn't even know well and that's the challenge when you do something like this is you know, traditional release strategies are that way, not just because, you know, we we want to be able to, for everybody to see it at the same time, but also so we can concentrate marketing efforts and publicity efforts. And so everybody knows on a wide enough path as possible that this movie is available to you this weekend. And to mm-hmm. then have to do Making that on a high actual hi- event out of it. And in a time where local media is just a shadow of what it was. You're really, you know, trying to target that via things like social media or, you know, or other things. It's it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. And that's why not everybody does this. So especially as the theatrical experience becomes less and less special. Yeah. Like it this actually sounded like an exciting way to curb that. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I think I mean I Omicron kind of uh, uh and the holidays, I feel like, yeah. sort of a, affected yeah. my ability to see it in a theater. But if I, I have faith that it'll be back in New York City again at some point. Yeah, you will definitely have an opportunity yeah. to see it in New York. Yeah, Here in Ohio, I am more doubtful. Yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> All right, anything else before we uh, sign off for our Class of 2021 episode? Again, like, it feels like the opportunities for what we could discuss are slimmer than maybe they have been since we have started our podcast. Um, I don't know. Of the actual nominations, the surprises were so good. I kind of went into them. I don't do, like, full predictions, but, like, predicting things in my mind. I was like, I'm just not predicting any of the things I actually want to happen. Because, you know, I'll I'll get to be happy that they do if they do and i really think that's how we should all move forward um, yeah because like drive my cars 
nominations, Parallel Mothers nominations, all made me so very happy. And that Power of the Dog, though I was expecting this, was the nomination leader. Um, all rad. The especially awesome. encouraging thing about Drive My Car getting a Best Picture nomination is, I remember when it won New York and then L.A. Film Critics Best Picture, and I was like, you know, this doesn't really happen often, and, you know, the last time that something had won, and this was even before it won National Film Critics, um, but the last time people, uh, film had won even just those two prizes, New York and L.A., and not gotten a Best Picture nomination. It hadn't happened since leaving Las Vegas in 95. So I was like, this is a big deal. And I remember at the time, all the conversations we were having, and I certainly didn't disagree, they were just like, yeah, but like, Janice is just way too small and aren't going to be able to campaign it, and it would be kind of unprecedented for something with that little of an Oscar apparatus to be able to make it work. The thing that I think actually changed this is the Academy screening platform because they they even had Spider-Man on their screening platform. Um, And maybe that's something that we're really underestimating um, because, like, you're right, they didn't really have much campaign because they couldn't. Uh, they they just don't have the uh, ap- like you said apparatus for it, and nor do they usually try. You know that's not yeah what their mo is. But like I do think at the same time people had access to it, and I'm less inclined to give that credit to the you know critics groups that were voting for it as like an influence on that because I do think those critics groups were voting for it because that's the movie that they were supporting and not necessarily because they think it should be in the Oscar race, but because that's the movie that resonated with them. No, and I, think I agree with that, that ultimately, too. Ultimately, this is a movie that is resonating with a lot of people. And like, but this is my, this is, that's where I want to give the credit to is towards the actual movie. It was so weird to me that that became the argument. The argument was our critics groups, trying to influence awards and are they lying when they say that they're not? And I'm like, that's totally beside the point. The point should be that if critics groups are going to do their own thing and follow their own path and and vote for things like that, then just because they're not trying to influence the awards, we should still allow that to raise the profile of these movies anyway. And not just, I think the encouraging thing about drive my car, getting a nomination and also, and I attribute this also to the fact that like now we do a top, a full top 10 uh, in best picture again, which is it just, it's a, it's a, and yet I don't think it was 10th place. Well, and I mean, we don't have to have that uh, discussion, but like, uh, it, it may, it may have been, it may not have been, but I think the point is, I think it's a disincentive to rule movies out before we should be ruling things out. And I'm glad that Drive right. My Car wasn't ruled out as a possibility just because its distributor was not an Oscar player. And I think now in the future, if we aren't so, you know, are, if this means that we are less willing to write a movie off because of, you know, reasons like that, I think we're all the better for it because then it makes us, it makes the awards conversation more inclusive, more open, more uh, willing to follow interesting paths. And that can only be for the better. 1000%. All right. That's a good note to go out on, right? 
Absolutely. All right. All right, guys, that was our class of 2021 episode. If you want more of this Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Uh, Joe, toot toot beep beep, where can <laughs> listeners find you and your work and drive that car? Uh, is this your way of saying that I'm a bad girl? Toot toot beep beep? Uh, because you're absolutely right. Uh, listeners. Uh, I'm not talking about the sad girl. No, it's true. Uh, listeners can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd, uh, Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. Uh, and if you want to find me talking about this bad girl on Twitter or Letterboxd, uh, you can find me at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. We are getting close to a thousand Apple Podcast uh, reviews, so... Uh, uh, leave us a five-star review in particular because it'll help us with that Apple Podcast visibility. And you can tell us you haven't been a Gucci all your life. You've been a Gary all your life. Uh, that's all for this week, but we hope we'll be back next week for more Buzz. <laughs>